What's good, people? Welcome to the Scaling Research Podcast. My name is Roy Opata Olende, and I'm your host. This podcast is for people who want to learn how to scale research at their companies. So you'll hear from folks in research ops and UX research as they unpack practical advice from their experience. In today's episode, I'm chatting with Kim Porter, who leads research ops at BT. We chat about her journey into this role and then discuss research ops models. So if you're considering launching a research ops practice at your company, Kim has some very handy tips for how to frame that role. Let's jump into the discussion. All right. Well, Kim, it is such a pleasure to be speaking with you. Uh, Going to dive into a bunch of research ops topics. But before that, obviously, I'd love to get to know you a little bit. Uh, and so I have some questions for you. Uh, first of which is, uh, which city do you currently live? I live in London, uh, England. Awesome. And which city were you born? Oh, so I was born in Southend, which is in Essex, a little known place in the east of England. Very nice. This, I'm assuming, is a very straightforward question for English people. Maybe not. Do you prefer tea or coffee? Uh, coffee, 100% coffee. I actually hate breakfast tea. <laughs> oh, yeah? Wow, yeah. okay. Yeah. Cake or pie? Uh, so I love both, but I'm going to say pie on the basis that pastry is just generally very good. Yes. <laughs> Do you prefer texting or talking on the phone? These days I'd say talking. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the pandemic's changed that around for me. I'd have said texting this time last year. What's your favorite day of the week? Um, I always feel quite optimistic on Thursdays because it is sort of like a, you're always at the weekend and you've got all that anticipation of all the things you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I like a Thursday. Who's your favorite music artist right now? Oh, that's a big question. So I, I listen to like a lot of different stuff. Um, I think I, I've been feeling quite nostalgic generally. So I've been diving into like lots of like cheesy 90s pop songs. And yeah, um, awesome. yeah it's been fun. <laughs> I love it. Would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals? Every language, I think. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite holiday destination? Again, I think this is quite influenced by the current state of things, but um, I think I just have to say that I want to go to my mum's house. Um, she lives in France, to where I grew up, and I just sort of haven't been able to get out there for the last two years, I think, and mm-hmm. I'm like desperate to go and just think about it a lot. Yeah. yeah, when this thing's over, hopefully sooner rather than later, you can head there and um, have some good times. Yeah. Early mornings or late nights? Early mornings, I think, for me. can think a bit more clearly early in the morning. Smooth or crunchy peanut butter? Crunchy. <laughs> no hesitation. <laughs> no hesitation at all. That's the one I think that's most contentious out of all these questions that I ask people. <laughs> um, dark chocolate or milk chocolate? Uh I sort of hate myself for this, but milk chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be the classy okay. person who says dark chocolate, but I'm not. <laughs> we fully embrace that. We fully embrace that, Kim. Uh, would you prefer a house with a view of the mountains or a view of the ocean? Mm, I think mountains, because they offer 
all the things got sunlight snow water yeah cool hey kim who is your first celebrity crush <laughs> uh um oh god you know actually there was um this, this might be a bit of a niche British thing, but there was a, when I was about 10, there was one of those talent shows on TV uh-huh. called Pop Idol. And, um, yeah. <laughs> say Will. Are you going to say Will? Uh, no, no, it was Gareth. It was Gareth. <laughs> oh! <laughs> is this the most contentious crush? Oh, <laughs> uh, this is the first time I've had Pop Idol come up. Yeah. And I was firmly Team Will. Like, <sighs> God, we couldn't have been friends then. <laughs> we couldn't have been friends. It's okay. We can be friends now. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. I love that. And uh, last one, what's your favorite dessert right now? Oh, dessert. Oh, you know, I'm going to have to say I made some cookies at the weekend. Uh, they were oatmeal cookies with pecan and cranberry. And I think I outdid myself. It was very, very good. Hey, you, is that something you do? Like, are you are you known as a baker? I think I'm more known as a cook. I prefer savory cooking generally. I find it's more like baking's quite. You have to measure everything, and I'm too impatient for that. Um, <laughs> so it's actually a rarity, which is probably why this stands out in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, if uh, if and when we can uh, we can meet face to face, I will. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll hopefully get to, to get a little sample of either your cooking or your baking because that sounds that sounds fantastic. Thanks so much for getting into this. I'm very glad to meet someone who remembers and was into Pop Idol uh, <laughs> back in the day. Uh, with some good memories there. Let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit here, and I'd love to jump into into just hearing your journey into research ops. I think from all the conversations I've had with people in this practice, um, we all sort of tend to come into this from different backgrounds, having not known this research ops things even existed a few a few years before coming into it. So Kim, what was like what was your journey into research ops? Maybe I can start by asking uh, what role did you have maybe coming out of high school or university? Then I'll trace it through the line to research ops. Sure. Um, so I think coming out of uni I um I sort of had this romantic idea of like being some kind of freelance writer, translator, editor mm-hmm. type person. Um and I really wanted to to work in that kind of way and that kind of field. I never thought I'd have like a fixed full-time kind of job. Um but then I I also my other big ambition was to live in London um and was just absolutely floored by what it costs to rent. A, a room let alone yeah. a flat <laughs> in oh, London yeah. um so that was and um, also given that editing and, and writing generally is also really fiercely competitive I kind of just said you know what I'll get any job I can just so I can rent somewhere and then mm-hmm. I sort of never really went back to the writing thing um so that's kind of how um the first few years ended up going um and okay. the, the job that I ended up getting was um was actually a recruitment company um, but like recruitment in terms of uh, people who match uh, candidates to jobs. Okay. I really enjoyed the candidate side of things. So meeting candidates and finding the right roles for them and sort of mm-hmm. making them happy essentially. Um, but uh, there was a really big sales element to the role. So you had to look for companies who might be hiring and kind of try and sell the company's services to them. And that really wasn't for me. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was tough. <laughs> what was the journey from? 
from that recruitment role into finally considering or even getting into research jobs? So it was, I think there were two main sort of pivotal points that kind of uh, sort of informed the journey, I would say. So like one of them was that at this recruitment place, I was actually like by chance placed on the tech desk. So I was researching basically tech startups all day hmm. um, <laughs> to, to like basically sell our services to. And uh, I decided that tech companies don't look so bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so I ended up finding the next place I worked while I was working at the recruitment company. Um, and this place was called Huddle, um, and they yeah. are a B2B collaboration software uh, provider. They'd been around for about five years, I think, at the time that I found them. Mm-hmm. And um, sort of joined that company as customer success. So that's kind of your sort of project manager who helps roll out the tech in your organization and mm-hmm. works really closely with the customers to make sure they're sort of getting the most out of it. Um, and we did a bit of a restructure because we were very high touch like they got lots of customer success attention uh, all of our customers and um after that restructure there was this niche that opened up where we didn't have much self-serve sort of help content available for our customers and i i sort of moved myself into that role um which was really really fun because i i sort of wanted to do it because of the writing element because there was lots of user guides to be created and there was mm-hmm. online webinars and training and all sorts of bits and pieces um but one of the really interesting things about that role is is it's probably where i got my first spark of like i want to work in ux in some capacity um because i got to work with some of our ux designers and like i was amazed at how cool their job was and Mm. how passionate they were about customers and how annoyed they'd get when things were being built in the wrong way or sort of not any user-centered way (laughs) Yeah, yeah and um just that sense of sort of justice and building the right things, responding to the right needs, um, really, really hooked me in. And I kind of thought, right, note to self, I, I want to get closer to that some somehow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was a big flexion point for me. Awesome. So that how how did your how did your first research ops role then come about? Like, um, yeah, who who did you connect with? What are the circumstances that actually led to you starting in that role? So I eventually left Huddle and moved to um, a digital bank startup called Monzo. Mm-hmm. And that was in 2017. And I worked, I joined there as like customer support, um, really because I just desperately wanted to work at Monzo. And uh, it was they were either hiring developers or customer support, and I couldn't code. So, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. so it was customer support for me. And then my role kind of quickly evolved into like a complaints handling role. Um, so it was dealing with uh, more difficult customer situations um, and when things hadn't gone quite so well. And as our customer base grew and the team grew, um, my role and a couple of other people's role on that team moved into more of an operational space. So Mm -hmm. away from like day-to-day complaints handling and more into questions like how can we handle complaints more effectively and um, how can we do it more delightfully and what internal tools do we need to achieve that? And I did that for a while. And then during that time, I'd gotten to know the research team at Monzo and um i sort of knew that they were thinking about a role but they weren't sure when it was going to pop up and eventually in 2019 it appeared and it was an internal hire and i just i wanted the job so much i think i spent about three weekends 
pouring over everything, every piece of research content we had. And yeah, then ended up taking that role and working there for a while. Um, and then unfortunately, sort of last summer, due to the pandemic, Monzo had to downsize a little bit just to kind of mm -hmm. preserve themselves sort of going into the future. But luckily kind of fell on my feet because um, there were some great like research ops jobs going on in London at that time. And I chose to work for BT, uh, which is where I am now as research operations manager. That's amazing. Really cool. I'd, I'd love to get into something you said, which was, you know, you when this opportunity opened up, you know, you, you spent all these hours pouring over UXR content, like sort of, I got this picture of, you know, I've got to make the most of this moment, um, try and make this happen. And, and I, I want to get into this a little bit because I hear from a lot of people who are curious about getting into this practice, right? Like, how do I transition into research ops? What do you need to do? And, and this is a practical, the lived experience of, hey, let me, you know, let me get into this and, and let me make the most of it. Could you talk a little bit about, I guess, that moment of having the opportunity and then trying to make the most of it? Like just the way you phrased that, I, I had this picture that you were just desperate to, you know, knock it out the park, like just, just do your <laughs> best. Could you talk to, could you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, it was, um, that was definitely the feeling that was going through my head. Like it was very much about, I need this job as well as I want this job. It was, I felt like this was the perfect intersection of the op skills I'd got from complaints and finally sort of getting me closer to, to work with researchers and, uh, people in UX generally. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that process was very much me reading everything I could about research operations and research from like places like the research ops community. Um, and it was also uh, really getting to know how, or as, as much as I could, how sort of research worked within Monzo. Mm -hmm. Because obviously every business is quite unique. There are practices that will um, be shared from place to place. but um, I was really trying to understand what types of research we did, how frequently they came up, um, you know, who was doing that research and, and why was it like those questions that were being looked at um, and sort of trying to figure out where we wanted to, to go um, mm -hmm. with that kind of the state of research at the time. And so, so I could come to the interview with, you know, suggestions for how we could do things differently um, rather than just saying this is the state of affairs now. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it was a really interesting process. Was there anything you learned doing that that was maybe very surprising, um, very unexpected, especially coming into the research field of fresh? Um, yeah, I think it surprised me how much how much work you could there could be to do in research ops, <laughs> mm. which sounds silly because obviously I, I wanted the job, but it's kind of thinking about. There's so much that powers research to happen. And obviously a lot of that is taken on by the researchers themselves. Yeah. Um, and it's so easy to forget when you're not a full-time researcher that all that work exists and is all there under the surface. You know, it's not, not all just interviews and insights. There's so much behind that. Yeah, that's cool. So, so now in this research ops role at BT, I'd love to hear more about how research ops is actually structured at your company. 
So, uh, so maybe firstly, who do you report to as, as the research ops manager? Yep. Uh, so I actually, fortunately, I report into the head of design operations. And within design operations, how, how large is that team? So at the moment, there are four, I hope I don't get this wrong, there are four of us. Um, so there's my manager, who is the head of design ops, and then there's me covering research ops, there's someone covering uh, content operations, and then uh, someone else covering design operations as well. The one, one area I'd love to explore more, and I think maybe in, in other conversations, and maybe it could be cool to do a roundtable on this, is reporting structures and how mm. how that affects your work. I in my role, I report to the head of UX research. Uh, we currently don't have, at Zapier, the company I work, we don't have a design ops role or design ops function. And I know that in different companies, there's sort of different approaches. There's maybe a dotted line to uh, design ops or a dotted line to to research. So so that's really interesting. Uh, very cool. What what then is your current focus? I actually, and actually, you've you've been in this role for not too long, right? Like uh, it's been it's been sort of since uh, end of twenty twenty ish, if I have that right. Uh, it was twenty nineteen, so I think it's coming up to two years in summer. Oh, twenty nineteen. Okay, so it's, like, it's only like a year and a half, though. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. guess pandemic time, everything feels yeah, a, little, a little wild. <laughs> um, so, so what's what are some of the things that you you're currently working on in in your role with research ops? Uh, So at the moment, um, one of our main focuses is that kind of hot topic of democratizing research or Mm. teaching others to do research. Um, Yeah, yeah, which is a big, big topic. And um, we've sort of been working very much as a team, kind of research ops as a team sport. (laughs) Um, And just working with the researchers to facilitate training and to get that kind of infrastructure and tooling in place for other people to be able to do research, as well as all the documentation needed and sort of guidance. Um, so yeah, that's sort of our biggest focus. I think ultimately we we want to be able to grow our maturity and get a mm-hmm. deeper kind of more rich understanding of our customers. But in order to do that and to have the time to uh, give to sort of discovery work, we first need to scale and get more people doing evaluative work. I'm someone on the same stage as well, who we're trying to figure out how to scale research, but do that in a, you know, in a rigorous, effective manner so yeah. that when, you know, when we don't just have people speaking to customers willy-nilly and, and coming up with very left field sort of insights, <laughs> uh, but also don't have people who don't feel encouraged to go and speak to users and learn from them. And so that's, that is another very hot topic, like you said, and and every company seems to have a slightly different approach. Has there been anything that you have learned so far in this process, again, that maybe is unexpected or exciting or surprising in any in any sense? Um, I think I might class this as surprising, but the I think one of the really nice things that's come out of it that was maybe I didn't know what to expect was the the actual appetite for um non-researchers to learn about research um and to think about taking that into their day-to-day because obviously it is essentially it's us asking them to do more work um Mm -hmm. and it's a different sort of work but they're so much willing for 
people to get closer to customers and become more user-centric. And it's just really, really nice to see. And it's really encouraging. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, this, this is one that I'd love to circle back on again, maybe feel like a round table needs to happen because <laughs> there's a lot of research ops people who are trying, who are focusing on this right now. And I'd love to see where these efforts, where we end up in, you know, say six to 12 months, how things are going in different, different settings. So I'll definitely circle, circle up on that one. <laughs> uh, so shifting gears a little bit, I'd, I'd love to chat through this. The main reason I actually reached out to you is this really this amazing blog post that you co-wrote uh, um, with with a few folks about finding a research ops hire and um, and also you talked about a model of ux research so actually do you do you mind sharing who who are the the two folks that you co-wrote this article with yeah absolutely like it was a real pleasure to work with both of them i worked with casey canvas and guppy aliwalia and they're both fantastic um, specialists, like research ops people with very different backgrounds to me again. Um, but yeah, it was fantastic to get to work with them on that, on that blog post. And what, what compelled the three of you to get together and, and write this piece? So it was all kind of, I'd, I'd had basically a series of conversations with network contacts, like friends of friends, essentially, um, who wanted to pick my brain about research ops. And they all kind of asked the same three questions. So it was firstly, does it sound like I need re full-time research ops? Mm -hmm. How will that role fit in my company? Like what, what shape should it take? And how can I advocate for it? Mm -hmm. And I was kind of thinking, so, you know, three or so people have asked me these questions. There must be other people out there who also want answers to these questions. And yeah. um, I sort of went out to our research community, our research ops community, and um, Guppy and Casey were straight on it and just said, like, <laughs> I'd love to help out. <laughs> and um, they were really keen to help put something together to sort of provide those answers. Very cool. Yeah, I love that approach of, you know, getting getting on our questions about a certain topic over and over and then just putting it out into the world. And then you can point people to that resource and go, Hey, this is, <laughs> this is exactly what I think or a few of us think on, on these topics. The every, every question you touched on is, is a big one. And I think there's, there's merit on getting into each one of them, but the, the thing, the second question that you talked about, which is like how, how does a research ops hire fit into your organization? That that's one that stands out to me a lot because the conversations I have with people about research ops, I think especially I'd say maybe four months and earlier, four to six months and earlier from from today, it was the sense I had was people just thought about research ops as this generic role where you you hire a research ops person and they come in and whether they worked at a large enterprise or maybe like a medium-sized company yeah just come in and you have these skills go to work and make it happen <laughs> right mm -hmm. you do research ops research ops is the same thing no matter where you are that that i think that understanding is shifting and maybe that was i'm not sure if it's just me who had that impression uh that people thought this about research ops but i i definitely picked it up more sort of early 2020 compared to 
as the year moved on, early 2020 and 2019, 2018, compared to, compared to now. So this is the reason why I'm very curious about these models that you have down, like this generalist model versus a specialist model. Uh, and I'm, I'm even curious about whether there's, there's something aside from that, that um, that's going to emerge. So very long winded <laughs> way of getting, getting down to this question of, you know, models and, and how to think about them. Yeah. Uh, could you talk a little bit about how, how you, the three of you landed on these two models? Like, um, yeah, how, how did this come about in your article? So I think first, I think that the terms that we used in the model were sort of specialist and generalist. And I think we pulled these words out. I'm not quite sure. I, I definitely didn't coin them, <laughs> just to firstly say that. Um, I think they came from Kate Towsey, whether it was in a conversation or a video or an article, I can't mm -hmm. remember. But um, but in any case, as sort of Guppy and Casey and I were, were chatting about how we should build the article, firstly, we decided to be really deliberate about focusing on um, models where someone was thinking about hiring a full-time like dedicated research ops role rather than something else because otherwise the article could have been like twice as long as it already is um yeah. <laughs> so we wanted to look at you know what does this full-time research ops hire look like um particularly um the sort of first research ops hire and we basically sort of sat and compared our experiences and the experiences of the people that we know who also work in research ops and it seems that the most common sort of models that that popped up were this sort of generalist idea and the specialist idea. And the way that we kind of conceptualized those for the article is that the generalists focus is quite broad and they will kind of iteratively build foundations on like all areas of research infrastructure. So that's across training all the way through to governance um, and sort of back to tooling. And that includes recruitment as well. Um, and then our conception of a specialist model was conversely someone who goes in really deep as an expert on one particular area of the research infrastructure initially mm -hmm. and typically or often you'll see that that specialist model plays out as participant recruitment because um, it's such a big time-consuming sort of admin heavy part of um part of research yeah yeah um i'm curious about this the thoughts of those hiring managers like a whether it's a head of research or a design ops manager and how they think of this right like so coming into coming into zapier i think there was i think every company faces this where they face that issue when it comes to participant recruitment i think that that's probably then the, like you said the number one issue that most companies are facing when it comes to to scaling research and enabling people to just to just go out and speak to folks, right? Is how mm -hmm. to how to streamline participant recruitment. I think knowledge management's an, another big one. Yeah, massive. You know the the the, the dreaded insights repo and, and what <laughs> what to do with that. And I think on my side when I came into Zapit, those were definitely the the two that were top of mind. But I did have the freedom to think about the best approach to tackle 
research ops. And, and so I, I came in with this firmly with a, a generalist model and, a, and I've spoken to others who have, who have come in more on the specialist side. But I, I think the reason this conversation is important to me is I, I don't know how much the people who are hiring think about, think about this. And, and maybe I'm, I'm being harsh. I, I know that I had good, a good amount of freedom to determine the best approach when mm. I got hired. Um, but I, yeah, I guess I, I guess I, 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 I don't know. And maybe you can speak to that a little bit. Like how, what do you feel generally when, when you see research ops roles uh, that are, that are posted job openings, that sort of thing with the descriptions written down, do you get a sense that, that people hiring managers can tell the distinction between a generalist type model and a specialist type model? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. And I, I definitely think, I think I've done it less this year, but definitely when I was looking at jobs last year, I do think I see more of the kind of specialist type job role. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know whether it's just a reflex because maybe it's becoming an understanding of research ops now to think, oh, that's recruitment, that's participant recruitment. Um, mm-hmm. And whether that is just automatically then what gets uh, you know, built as a role, um, or whether there's actually thought behind that, because I do think that because um, when I think about these two models, I think of them as different approaches to starting work in research ops. Because the like, particularly like people even like Casey and Guppy, um, like I think that from speaking with them and other people who do a lot of participant recruitment or have started uh, in research ops through that area they also end up working on like all the other things <laughs> um yeah. it's yeah. never the limit of their work you know it t- does touch on all of the research infrastructure it's just that they might start somewhere uh, with a really strong focus mm-hmm. um and i wonder if that scope is built into those recruitment coordinator coordinator roles or whether the person doing the hiring is just sort of thinking that it'll be that forever um yeah yeah. and I wonder about that and like things like progression and progression frameworks I think is really important to think about when you're sort of putting out roles like that and and what we had spoken about earlier very briefly on where the role sits like where research ops sits I you know I think so much about the future of this role and a lot's dependent on whether the org designs research ops to sit in model ops function where perhaps it's an easier again big assumption here but perhaps is an easier link to like okay this is where this this role could this is how this role could grow this is how there could be more progression within an ops function um versus sitting within research, but I'm not sure on that one. There's a lot, a lot of yeah. unknowns in my mind there. How, how if, if at all, did you, the two roles you've had in Monzo and BT, uh, did they differ? Were they similar in terms of the initial model for, for your work? Uh, in terms of, were you, did you come in as more of a journalist or more of a specialist? They're interesting. I think they've ended up both being generalist. Mm-hmm. Um, I think BT was generalist from the get-go. The job description was really broad, um, mm. and which is both terrifying and encouraging. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, so it's like, wow, all this work, but also good, you understand. <laughs> but I think with Monzo, it was interesting because it was it was obviously 2019, which is quite, uh, that's quite early on in the wave of like people hiring research ops people in yeah. like the UK, at least. I think we're a little bit behind, bit behind the States in terms of these roles popping up. And I think therefore there was less resource uh, sort of outside to, to lean on and inform how the role should maybe look. Mm. Um, and I think I think I had a lot of freedom to work with Sam and define what the role should look like and what the scope should be when I stepped into it, which was great because it wasn't it didn't feel like it was fixed to something specific. Although originally it was conceptualized as a kind of I think I think the title was um, research associate so it was more of like a supporting researcher than research ops Mm. um and then we kind of both of us worked together and sort of shaped it and sort of thought oh maybe we need to move it slightly towards you know more more strongly towards ops um and it it just all kind of worked out and was absolutely fine um but yeah maybe slightly different initially cool so i think imagining a head of research or head of design ops uh, comes to you looking for advice on on how to how to approach a, a, their new research ops role they're creating a research ops role they don't know which model to adopt mm-hmm. how would you advise them on how to think about that i think that the first thing i'd want to say is that it's really important to remember that there's no wrong way to do ops like mm-hmm. just to reassure the person because you don't have to choose like a model that you've seen elsewhere or that you know I'm talking about now today on on this recording. It's just thinking about thinking really carefully about sort of your unique uh, situation and your needs to sort of create the best match that's possible. Um, so I think the first I think just asking yourself a few questions would be a really good place to start. And I think the most important of these questions is what's your user research strategy? Like where are you trying to take research in your organization? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the reason this is important is because it gives you the size of the task at hand, like what, what you're actually asking this person or people to take on, um, as well as its scope. So, for example, that meaning um, what I mean by scope is whether you want to tackle like a specific area of the research infrastructure or like a bit of everything. Yeah. So, for example, like with my situation, we're looking to scale initially, and that touches on training and coaching and um, like documentation and tooling and processes. So that's very much says, okay, that sounds time consuming and quite broad. So you're probably thinking of looking towards a generalist role. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I think maybe if you, I, don't, I can't think of, I don't know, there must be companies in this situation, but maybe you've already got really skilled people who do research as part of their role, like really, really experienced designers who've already done a lot of research, but you're just not able to get participants to them at the scale that you want to be. Maybe that's when you'd say, okay, I'd like someone to come and sort this out initially, and then Mm -hmm. we'll see what else they can do. Yeah. Yeah. I I can see that. Like it it reminds me, I have my, one of my last podcasts with, um, Chris uh, from Redgate, who's a he's a UX research coach, mm. and that's uh, that's very focused on the craft. You know, really helping designers think about how to frame their research, conduct research, but this more ops element of just like perhaps recruiting people more effectively, more efficiently, 
maybe in, in that sort of setting, I can see where a specialist is like really high value because, you know, the other, uh, some of what is covered by maybe a generalist is, is already being done by some, a UXR coach, maybe a senior researcher or the research leader, you know? Mm. So yeah, I think your, your advice is, I think your advice is spot on. It's like, let's, let's analyze the context here. Let's really get a, a sense of what kind of resources you have, what kind of vision you have for this mm. role. And that, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense is there's no straight right or wrong approach. Uh, a lot is, there's so much that's contextual. One thing that's easy to forget about is that like thinking of when you think about your environment and think about the size of the task that you want this person to take on, that task can like really shrink down or stretch out depending on like your relationships with other teams. So because so much of the research ops job is cross-functional and you really or at least I have in my experience depended really heavily on sort of relationships with IT and Mm. privacy and legal and procurement as well Um, so it's maybe good to take stock of what those relationships are like and things like how is your procurement process like is it time consuming and confusing or is it quite clear and easy to get through because those factors will really stretch out the time it takes for your yeah. ops people to deliver what they said they will. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I absolutely love that. Such a great point. Before I get into my last question, I'd love to return to something you talked about earlier with your previous roles. You talked about being a success role, doing project management, and 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 that you know I, I got thinking about some of the skills that you would have acquired and how they connect into research ops. Uh, when it comes to your current role and thinking about especially that that experience doing project management and maybe actually your, your other experiences before research ops, I guess is, is, there, is there a specific skill or a specific role previous, prior to joining research ops that you think has really set you up for success? I think there are probably two common threads that I would attribute to all of the roles I've done as well they're somewhat different there's some similarity between them and I think one of those threads is just helping I think I've always been the kind of I can step in and do that <laughs> like I will I will help you whatever you, you know if you're a, a, a colleague or a customer um that's always been something that I have found enjoyable and um that's sort of given me fulfillment in my role, which is why, you know, I've kind of worked with clients in support roles or internally as a support function as well. Um, And I think sort of having that fulfillment from that type of role is really useful in research ops because you are constantly kind of balancing those long-term strategic plans to make things generally better for everyone. And also sort of day-to-day tactical tasks of sort of, you know, all this thing's broken, come and fix it or, you know, we, we need more licenses for this tool. Can you quickly just spin that up? Um, and you need to sort of be able to be happy with that and thrive on that. And then I think the other thing is being fairly, I mean, I, I don't think it's actually necessary for research shops, like definitely, but I would say I'm quite methodical and organized. And I think mm. given that you have so much scope to be distracted um, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> taken off course, I think um, having that sort of solid plan to come back to and knowing where you're going and sort of, you know, being happy deviating for a bit, but knowing you can bring yourself back is uh, super important. 
yeah that's that's great well just to wrap up here i'd love to get your advice for maybe someone who's listening and thinking about bringing on a research ops position and th- considering how do they advocate uh, advocate for this role um how do they yeah how how do they essentially sell it within within their organization any any word of words of advice you could share with such a person in in this situation <laughs> um i think i would say that already take stock of all the ops work you and your team already do there's probably absolutely loads of it um you know research ops uh, sorry ux research is you know i'd say probably a good 70 percent ops um whether it's participant recruitment or educating people about the value of research or facilitating um all of your analysis sessions and the test days um like how much time does all of that take up away from the research um your actual research time and maybe try and figure out what is the impact of doing sort of less research because you're spending more time on sort of admin and um, ops tasks like sorting out tooling and you know working out what to procure um you know what is the impact of of not doing research with that time have have you you know have is there maybe a a product that could have been built a different way um could a product have been built faster um is you know your product as accessible um as it should be you know where have these trade-offs in time led to maybe less favorable customer experiences which you could deliver on and inform if you had that time back it's kind of showing that trade-off and and what you you know what you could be doing if someone else was able to take this work away from you and then conversely you know if if someone on your team is actually interested in ops I think like use that and really praise them and and shout about their work and you know if they automate something tell people you know the the time that it saved you and how amazing it is and get people really excited about someone who could come and do 10 times that work if they have you know their whole world dedicated to it thanks so much for listening i hope that you learned something new and helpful from that discussion with kim i honestly had to cut our chat short i could have asked her so many more questions Kim has so much great advice to share and I definitely have to have her back for a follow-up episode. Well, next week on the podcast, Kate Towsey joins me for a chat about leading a research ops team. That's all for now. If you're enjoying the Scaling Research podcast, hit the subscribe button and I'll catch you next time.